review. I'm your host, Just James, and today we will be going over the film From Black. Let's go! This is episode 34. everyone to the Just James Horror Review. I'm your host, Just James, and today we are going over the film From Black. It's a 2023 film. I believe I was introduced to it just from a random ad on Instagram or something from Shudder. It's on Shudder. That's where I watched it at. Pretty cool movie. I'll go ahead and let you know up front. It was uh, was a good movie, and it kind of shit the bed at the end. So, you know, whether you want to watch it before you listen to this or not, that's on you. But it had some good parts to it, but it didn't, like, blow my mind or anything. But it, at least it wasn't horrible. It wasn't time wasted. So the director of this is going to be Thomas Marchese. I don't know. I'm absolutely sure I'm saying that wrong. Um, he did a 2017 film called Fallen. It won some awards. I believe it's on Netflix. But I've never seen it. The only other film that he's done is this one that I recognize. He did some shorts, a couple of other things like that. Which is surprising to me because this film, if nothing else, is beautifully shot. There's great camera work. I guess cinematography is going to be the word that encompasses all those things. But really fantastic framed shots. So, you know, in uh, the random film class that I took way back in college, you know, everyone talks about Citizen Kane. I think that's the one with the rosebud thing. Anyway... Everyone talked about how like mind-blowing that film was. Is I Now, of course, back then it was probably super cool, but his framed shots and his film techniques, and he, he played with depth a lot and all this other stuff, this film does that a lot. And I would assume if you're not used to that kind of thing, you might watch this film and think, you know, it's very pleasing to the eye. It does all these little neat uh, depth perception camera tricks. And I don't really know what the guy's trying to show in the film by doing that. It's transition or, you know, different steps or something. I don't know. We'll get into it anyway. I'm getting ahead of myself. So anyway, that's what he did. Very cool artistic style of shooting a film and all that kind of stuff. But we'll move on. The writers of this was the the same, the director, and also Jessup Flower. I think he did something called he wrote unaccompanied minor which again i don't know what that is either so there you go the cast in this i'm only going to cover two because i don't want to drag this thing out forever the first one is going to be anna camp who is one of the main characters in there the female character and she was in one of the new creep show episodes she was also in the lovebird series she was in an episode of robot chicken and apparently she was in pitch perfect one two and three, I haven't seen any of those films. Not that I'm a hater. I'd watch one if someone else was watching it, but I just haven't seen them. She was in those. And, surprising to me, she was Sarah Newland in the True Blood series. Do you guys remember True Blood? Now, I know there's a lot of people out there who are going to hate on it because, obviously, if there's something that's horror-related, or there's a lot of shows that use horror as a vehicle to get people to watch it, and you can tell it's not made by horror fans. And so I think when you have something like... True Blood, which is kind of a soap opera in a sense, series in the way it plays out. It's all about, you know, hot dudes, hot chicks, and they love each other, and oh, I'm dangerous, but I love you, and all this kind of other stuff. So it's easy to hate. But let me tell you something, hater. The True Blood series is pretty fucking cool. I mean, it's got a lot of cool monsters, cool storyline, all that kind of stuff. You know, did did I... Like, watch it because I wanted to watch it? No. <laughs> I was I was made to watch it by the individual that I was with at the time. And uh, But, yeah, it's not bad. It's a cool show. It's got a, If you like horror and that kind of stuff, it's got some cool shit in it. Anyway, she was the person who was, like, the religious 
zealot was against the vampires or something like that. So she played that person in the series. The second, I'll say other main you know role in this is Jennifer uh, Lafleur. She was in Nope. I haven't seen that yet. I think I'm going to save that for the special that I'm going to do for October. So I got some plans for October. I'm reserving that film for one of those because I really want to see it. Um, I like all the previous stu- uh, stuff done by that director and stuff. So, yeah, I'm excited to see that. Uh, she was in a movie called The Husband, and she was in a Carly Rae Jepsen video. You remember Carly Rae Jepsen? Does that name tickle your brain a little bit? It's the Call Me Maybe song. You know, I'm not going to sing it, but, you know, it's a fun song. It's it's poppy, the Call Me Maybe. She had, you know, the bangs. She actually looked like one of the Ramones, you know, with that haircut. But I guess, you know, some people try to make that work, and, you know, it, it worked on her, sure. So there's something you should know about your host, Just James. I'm a big pop fan. Now, my favorite types of mu- uh, music, I guess, are going to be probably metal, punk rock, uh, jazz, bluegrass, those kind of things are kind of my staples, I guess, but I love all music. I mean, it all touches the soul in a certain way. It's all made through passion, but I'll tell you what, there's something about pop music, and I'll tell you what it is. Pop music is created by musical theorists, music scientists, or whatever you want to call it, all, all those guys that sit in there and, you know, they got the big machines, and then they study, like, what people like to listen to, what kind of beats, bass lines, what pitches, and all this kind of stuff, so it's essentially created in a music lab. They know what your brain will hang on to. They know what's catchy. They know what's going to create that earworm. So it's almost like a mad scientist Frankenstein thing that they do that's going to bore its way into your fucking brain and live there forever. And so, yeah. So I I guess what I'm saying is I like pop music, but it's not that strange because it's created to for people to like, for, for, for it to be hard for you not to like. So even though you might not like someone like Taylor Swift or Britney Spears or whatever like that, they've got a hundred people making one song and their sole objective is to make sure that you want to listen to it all the time. So even if you don't like these pop songs, I bet you know some of them. I bet you've heard them on the radio or whatever and you probably know more lyrics than you'd like to admit to, right? So yeah, pop music, man. Whatever. I guess, I guess that's, that's it. it. I'm, 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 I'm a pop, pop fan. fan. You know, and, and here's the thing. I want to listen to pop music when I want to just be blindly happy. Like when I want to be blissfully ignorant of all that is. When I want to forget about this shit world and how we're all born to die and that everything has a shelf life and, and, and even things you hold sacred, you know, are, are going to pass away and rot and turn into dust. And no matter who you are, there will come a time when no one knows ever even fucking existed you know when i want to smile and dance like no one is watching and release all inhibitions and thrive in my space in a hedonistic escape that defies the black void in which we spin through space at light speed to an unknown destination and future fuck you universe i want to breathe smoke fill my hands with soil and chew metal i want to run up mountains i want to howl at the fucking moon this 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 godless rock that we're on hurling through space and I want to listen to Katy Perry and Britney Spears and Carly Rae Jepsen and disappear into the ether. I want to listen to Rebecca Black's song Friday, goddammit. And I want to live. Whew. Shit. I shouldn't have smashed that energy drink before this show. Sorry, guys. Got a little sidetracked there. Not sure what that was, but uh, anyway, today we're talking about From Black 2023. Let's get into it. 
All right, so this film opens with a pretty cool uh, scene. It's a police officer walking through a crime scene. The The music's really good in this. It really the, the tone is instantly set just with the colors and the music and, you know, the sounds and how everything's uh, mixed is very well. We see, as she's walking through this house, we see salt on the floor, candles, all kinds of signs written all over the ground. So we are automatically know we're getting into some type of spell, culty type, stuff you know right off the wreck and then she goes up to this door that's been kind of taped shut with some police tape and it is absolutely wrecked like the woods all busted through it you could tell someone tried to lock it and someone just kicked right through that damn lock and so the officer goes to the door they open it you can also tell that this scene's already been gone through i guess i should say that so there's no one presently there this is someone that's come back to walk through and they open the door and there's this thick rich dark red blood that's just covering you know like the sheets the couch the floor and it's a it's a cool scene yeah it's a good opener good good catchy kind of scene and i think automatically in this scene you can already start to see these kind of staged frame shots that this particular director uses that i enjoyed now one thing that does get a little annoying right here up front is there's a bunch of hard cuts and I use that line a lot and I really don't maybe I'm using that line wrong but it's just where something's happening all of a sudden boom it switches to another scene where something else is going on and there's no real transition or fade into what's happening so hard cut to a woman in a police station and it's that same officer who's a female officer who we're going to find out later is her name is Allison and she's asking another cop in the room where they found her and the other officer just says uh, in the house, and she's like, where in the house? You know, what room? And he just says, the bad one. So cool kind of dialogue there. It felt realistic to me. Then then all of a sudden, boom, another hard cut, and the same, and Allison, the female, I'll start calling her Allison, but she's a female officer. So Allison is at the house, and she's doing a, wear, a welfare check at a trailer. Now, there's a lot of time jumping in this film, whereas they're showing you the beginnings and the ends, and both are playing out to meet in the middle. It's like a candlestick burning at both ends, and we're going to meet somewhere in the middle, which at first, you know, the first maybe 15 minutes, this kind of was annoying, and then the more the story played out, I actually enjoyed this part of the film. So anyway, Allison's at this trailer with another officer. They're doing a welfare check. Some woman comes to the door. She's obviously a heroin addict because of just the stuff that's in there, and she's giving them a lot of toot. You know, she's giving them some fucking toot about... Uh, what are you guys doing here or whatever? And they're like, hey, we just want to make sure that you know where your son is. And she's like, of course I know where my son is. And she's all whacked out. So then we cut to her going back. To, you know, they're like, well, just check on him and then we'll be out of here. So she leaves another hard cut and we have a search line going through the woods. So obviously we infer that the son is gone. He's missing. They don't know where he's at. And as this search party's, you know, combing through the woods in, you know, the big search line, if you know what I'm talking about, you see it zooms in on a bloody little tiny kid-sized Chuck T. Chuck Taylor. It's a shoe. So surely the fuck you know that. All right, so from the shoe, we cut another cut back to the mom on the porch, and she's just sitting there just staring off into space. You know, you don't really know if she's gotten the news or not yet. Then, boom, another hard cut to the police station and it's that same woman, and she's bloody, and now we know that she is the one from the house that had all the salt, seance looking stuff, and all the blood everywhere, and she's just kind of mumbling to Allison that, you know, he said I could get him back, he said I could get him back, and they're asking her about the blood, and, and it's she says it's not hers, it's not her blood that she's covering in, it's someone else's, and they're trying to figure out whose fucking blood is this? And so anyway, the mom goes on about, she said I could have him back, and then Allison says, it's been over seven years. 
implying that this case is over, this kid is assumed dead or whatever, and the mom, whatever was going on at the house, was her way of getting him back. Now, I read one review that I think hit the nail on the head a little bit with this movie was, it's not that it was necessarily a bad movie, shot well, done well, but it's very by the numbers. And when I read that, it makes perfect sense. This thing doesn't try to fool you or trick you. It's just a good story, but you kind of, all the elements are there. They're in place. Nothing crazy going on to where you're just like, oh, shit, I know it's going to happen. You, you can pretty much see it coming, but, you know, it's still a decent movie if that's just kind of the thing you want to sit down and watch, you know? All right, so we get through all this part, and then we see a support group with that woman there, and she looks cleaned up. She looks a lot better. Cora, by the way, is her name, and she's going to be played by... Anna Camp. So that's our Anna Camp uh, character, whereas Allison is going to be the Jennifer Loeffler character. So they're in the support group. She's cleaned up. You can tell this has been some time. I don't I don't remember them giving you a timestamp. Like Nova at any point, or they're like two years later, three years later, or you know, previously, or anything like that. It just gives you all these hard cuts and just leaves you to kind of figure it out. It's a little disorienting. And maybe that was their intent, but if it was their intent, it doesn't really add to the story to make me confused because none of the characters had any of this type of confusion going on. It was more about, you know, loss and death and losing someone, you know, losing a child or someone close to you, dealing with family drama and pain and all that kind of stuff. Those were really the themes of the film. So you just tripping me up in the beginning didn't help, you know, nail that down as I was going through the film. Right, so we see Cora, she's in this support group, and everyone's getting ready to leave, and all of a sudden she speaks up, and she starts sharing her feelings about losing her son, and she's very upset, and she feels guilty about all of it because she says that she doesn't have hope, and as the, um, as the mother, she feels like she, she's supposed to always have hope, right? She's supposed to always hold out. You know, she was told, if I, just, if I just get sober, like, things will work out, and I can figure things out, but she's been sober, and nothing has worked out, and she just feels worse, in other words, she just wants to get high and escape all this shit. So she has her little monologue, and she ends up going outside, outside, and Allison is there waiting on her. And, you know, Allison just looks like she doesn't know what to say. It takes you a minute to figure out this, but they are sisters. And so that means that the kid that's gone is Allison, the police officer's nephew. This little scene right here somewhat insignificant I guess just because what's portrayed in this scene is felt throughout the whole entire movie but it was an awesome scene for the dialogue that was in it I do like the dialogue that was written in this film I, I don't know how to say it other than just it felt realistic it wasn't cheesy or corny or anything like that I think it just kind of pushed the film forward in a very natural way also the casting in this was good so mixed with the dialogue and that these actors and actresses that aren't extremely well-known. They look like real people. This looks like something that's, you know, they're not all glamorized. They didn't make any effort to, like, dress anybody up. They just look like real people, and I thought that that made for a more solid movie. It helped the movie out a lot. So Cora, so anyway, so Cora has this little uh, scene here about grief and loss, and Allison says, you know, people just don't really know what to say. They just are trying to help, and Cora says that she just ends up having to make them feel better when they talk to her, and what kind of sense does that make? And to me, I felt like that kind of hit close to home, I think, and it will for anyone that has suffered, you know, the loss of someone that's close to them. Because if you've ever gone through something like this, whether it was a family member or a friend or, or even a fucking, you know, a pet or the loss of a home or something, whatever it might be, some kind of big event in someone's life, 
and you're the one that is feeling bad and that needs the help. But every time someone comes to you and tries to help you out, you end up having to try to like make them feel better. Like, no, I'm fine. Everything's cool. Don't worry about it. You know, yeah, I'm getting better, whatever. And you end up having to like prop them up. And, um, you know, it's just grief. It's just the way it happens. People want to help all well-to-do, well-meaning people, but they don't know what to say in this situation because maybe it's never happened to them. So people are trying their best. I would say if you're in that situation and someone's trying to talk to you, it's not your job to make them feel better, but just know that they don't really know what to do. So just communicate with them. Like, hey, man, you know, you really want to help me out, do X, Y, or Z. Or like, this would really help. Or, you know, fucking bring me a <laughs> dinner or something. I don't know. What, whatever's going to help you out through this thing. All right, so after this, she's pretty hard on Allison, even though Allison is just trying to show that she cares. And again, this was her nephew, too. So it's not like she's completely, you know, um, detached from what's going on. And she's the police officer in that district or whatever. So this is also feels like her responsibility, I'm sure. So it cuts to her at home and she's drinking and she was kicking uh, some half naked lady out of her bed. And you can tell that she's been obsessed with the loss of her nephew because she goes into this room and there's like papers all over the wall. You know, the typical trying to find somebody thing. You know, there's papers and little things of yarn and stretching line and trying to connect all the dots to try to figure out where is the kid. And again, this is seven, seven years since he's been he's been gone for seven years and she's still going through this stuff. All right, so that scene goes on to let us know kind of where each character is at and how they're feeling. We see Cora. She's at her job at a bowling alley, and one of the dudes from the help group comes in to get something to eat at a fucking bowling alley. You know, let's eat dinner at the bowling alley. He comes in there to talk to her, and he's actually the guy that hosts the support group that she was in. So we recognize that character. I believe his name is Abel. We recognize him from earlier comes in, kind of shoots the breeze with her for a minute, and they have a good conversation. And again, the dialogue in this portion is good, and it reminds me of a Tarantino scene as far as the dialogue goes. I won't say, like, setup or, you know, the cinematography stuff or anything like that, but the dialogue because, you know, like in Tarantino scenes, like, he wants you to know things. You remember in Reservoir Dogs when he's talking about Madonna's song, uh, Like a Virgin, and all that kind of stuff. Every movie has those little scenes, these little nuggets of information where you're like, oh, I never knew that. That's pretty cool. Is that true? And this scene is very much like that. And it's like that because Abel goes into the Finding Nemo movie and he says that there's this theory about Finding Nemo is about the dad actually eating all the kids because clownfish are known to eat all their eggs. And the story is a way of dealing with what he had done is creating this, you know, story in his mind that, you know, Nemo went away and he can't find him or whatever. And Nemo, and then he goes into how Nemo is actually Latin for nobody, which further you know, makes this believable that this is some type of true, like, you know, tin hat type thing for Nemo, a different interpretation of what finding Nemo means. So you can tell that he's wanting to talk to her on a more personal level than what's in the group. He's wanting to get her by herself to talk to her about something, and they have this conversation. You can tell the guy's a little weird, like something's off, but he's also running a, a support group. So you're like, well, is this dude weird? Because he seems like he was really trying to help all those people earlier. What exactly is going on here. So this film's going to jump back and forth again, going to the present and to the past and kind of building this story. And that's nothing new. But again, like I said, it works good. And this, it kind of creates this as a horror film into sort of a mystery. So it's a horror film with a mystery inside instead of a mystery film with a little bit of horror, which I really like that better that way, I guess, if I had to pick between those two. And another thing I want to say too about at this point in the film is... It, the dialogue and the cinematography, I know I keep bringing it up, but it's only because this first part of the film was so freaking good the way everything was put together. It was just, it, it, I just, I was enjoying it. I was like, okay, this is actually going to be a pretty cool fucking movie. And you remember the movie The Boy? 
it had the doll, and then it turns out it's just, spoiler alert, it's just some dude that lives in the wall, and he's moving the doll. It's fucking ridiculous, right? The premise of the movie is kind of ridiculous. But with the camera work and the colors, the tone, the costumes, the casting and dialogue and all that kind of stuff, it actually ended up being a pretty good movie. To me, it almost seemed like this dude, even though this guy wrote this, the even though the director, you know, he got this, I feel like if he had a better script or a better idea or whatever it is that he could do a really, really good movie. This movie to me was like some, like him being a professional, you know, virtuoso on the guitar or whatever, and just being able to really shred. And then someone hands him like a $20, you know, Walmart guitar. He's still going to make some good fucking music on it, but imagine what he could do if he had better equipment or whatever. So that's kind of how I felt in this film. And again, as we go forward, you will see all these framed shots and there's all these like there's like door frames window frames there's all these hard lines in each one of these shots and i mean hey it it looks good but i just don't understand the meaning behind it is it transition is it being trapped is it supposed to be like gateways is it supposed to give me this like third person voyeur type of perspective i I just don't i don't fucking know looks cool but what what the fuck what is it just a bunch of good looking frame shots and anyway, the play, the play back and forth between the present and, and the past and all that, it's shot cool, like uh, the past is shot almost dreamy, uh, kind of a slow burn, you know, the colors are different, and then when we go back to the present, it's this dingy, punchy, stark, uh, you know, weird color reality. And that part I don't feel like needs any explanation when you watch the movie. That makes sense. All right, so anyway, the able comes out to her after they eat and stuff and he asks her if she wants to see her son again and of course she's like the fuck are you talking you know this this bs what are you talking about well I wanna, of course i want to see my son you know what are you crazy and he's like do, no but do you really want to see him and she kind of blows him off and gets mad you know what is this dude talking about and this scene kind of dragged on a little bit for him to convince her that she needs to try this and that he's dead serious but again it works towards the realism of the movie because in real life if you you know had a dead family member and someone's like hey you want to see him again you're not going to believe him right up front so it it builds the the tone of her grief pushes her into saying why the hell not let's just give it a shot and see what this guy's talking about because i'm so low at a point in my life with this thing that i will do anything to be able to see my son again all right so we move on and what really ends up convincing Cora about this that Abel says he did this with his daughter so apparently there's a famous Abel is somewhat famous because the disappearance of his daughter and she was found in a lake or something like that where she'd been you know underwater for weeks or whatever when they found her so she was dead dead there was no coming back and he's like I brought her back I, I know you know she's alive she's living with my wife in another state and again it all sounds sketch and Cora's a little on the fence about it but the more and more she thinks about it she's just like fuck it you know what do I got to lose so she wants to find out, what. how are we going to do this? And Abel says, well, we're going to do a ritual, of course. And she says, oh, you mean like a seance? And he says, no, like a ritual. So he has these moments where he's kind of a dick. And it it puts you in a position to where you don't trust Abel immediately. Because even though he's trying to help her, it just seems really weird. He's known that she's lost her son this whole time she's been in this group and all these things. And now all of a sudden he wants to help her out. And then when she tries to ask questions, he just kind of like cuts her off like, you, you trust me and we do it or you don't trust me and you don't get anything. We're not doing any of this. And he doesn't want anything in return. He just says, we've got to do the ritual. So yeah, sketch. Another cool part about this is as you're watching the past events and then it'll flash back to the present, you see that Cora is telling Allison all of this. So she's not hiding it. She says, yeah, we were doing a ritual. And then she goes on to tell her about all the stuff that they did. 
she's not trying to mask the fact or lie to her or whatever like that. So I thought that part was cool because, of course, Allison doesn't believe her either. But Corey does a very convincing in her role of you can tell she believes it. her character, you know, believes this stuff. So Allison's just struggling like, oh, my God, she's still got all this depression and stuff from her sister being a crack addict and losing the nephew and then he's dead and now she's coming back with this crazy story about we did a ritual and there's demons and they're gonna bring my baby back you know and she of course just thinks she's using again and now she's covered in blood and she has to arrest her sister so it's a big old mind fuck for her so finally after probably the first i'd say the first third of the film we get into ritual stuff they set up the ritual they do a little salt circle and the guy is looking nervous but they set it up, and Cora is still skeptical, of course. And part of it is she had to chain herself to the middle of this circle. So she's already like, okay, this is getting super weird. But, you know, she just keeps taking a little, little steps, little steps, little steps until she's all the way roped into this and chained to the middle of a floor in a salt circle while some guy chants weird shit around her. So that starts, and it's daylight when they start, and then it's dark. So you realize they've been doing this for hours and hours and hours. And eventually, Cora, she's just like, hey, nothing's happening. I knew this was trash. I'm just done with this. I'm done with all of it. And the guy's just ignoring her. He's continuing to chant some weird stuff and whisper things out of this book. And right when she's about to step out of the circle and give up, what happens? We hear the chain jerk taut. And then, of course, we go to a beautifully framed shot of her just floating in the air with the chain pulled up as if she's being held in the arms by some invisible force. So the guy runs over to her. She ends up dropping to the ground. And she's scared at first, but she's also sort of excited because she's saying, like, I could feel the energy. I could feel it. I could feel it in my chest. And I know I'm going to be able to see my boy again. And then, boom, hard cut. And I think this scene for me is cool because as I was watching it, you know, you're kind of waiting on this stuff to start. And then when you see it, I was like, how are they going to play this out? Is it going to be cheesy? Is it going to be generic? Are they going to be, you know, with chicken blood and all this other kind of weird shit that I'm, that's not going to make sense in the film for what's been happening, the serious tone so far? But it worked out really well. They did it in a way that was uh, that that wasn't over the top. It still kept that serious tone of the film. And so basically, what they do is they have to do a ritual a day for however many days. I don't know. They eat before each ritual. There's like a like a card that comes up on the front of the screen, and it tells you like, oh, this ritual is called purification, or this one's called you know guilt or remorse or whatever it is. And so for each one, they do that, so you know they're going to start a new ritual. But here's what happens. Okay, after that first part. After all that cool shit I've said about dialogue and casting and all that kind of stuff, this thing shits the bed for the last 30 to 40 minutes of the film. Now, it's not a total loss. It doesn't make you regret that you've already wasted over an hour watching this film or whatever, but it just turns into like a different film. I don't know if they just had to rush the ending or they were like, you know, this dude was, it, it was going to be a lot longer of a film. And they were like, hey, dude, you've got to cut, you know, 45 minutes out of this film. And he's like, dude, there's no way. And they were like, yeah, dude, you got to, or we're not going to pick it up. So he said, okay. So they kind of rushed the ending. And what it is, is during one of the rituals, you get to see this, I'm going to say it's a demon. It looks very demon-y. He's got horns. He's got the leathery skin. It's a, it's a weird suit. It kind of looks like the, uh, oh, was that Pan's Labyrinth or whatever, the eyeball creature where the, the, eyeballs are in his hands or whatever you remember how that suit just looked kind of bulky a little funny almost like a muppet or something i hope i'm not the only one that thought that but that's kind of how this demon looks his hands are just too wide and chunky and it just looks like a rubber suit you know so i don't know if maybe being shown this demon it just that's kind of where it fell flat and went off the rails from there but it, it starts talking to her and all this other stuff and it just got cheesy it it went a toll it took a fucking huge left turn at albuquerque and just went the other way i, I don't know what it was thinking 
Not to say that there's not still some good scenes. There is one ritual where uh, Cora it transport transports her to the day that her son went missing. And oh man, what a gut wrenching scene. You get to see the whole thing of what happened, like where the kid was, what happened, how he went missing, what happened to him and all this stuff. And it just yanks your soul out of your body because she's just having to watch this go down. She can't do anything about it. So it show you know, she's watching herself like passed out from heroin on the couch and it shows the boy I think he's gonna be five. I think they said he's five in the film. He's five years old. He comes up, he shakes her to wake her up and she just kinda rolls over and dismisses him, whatever. So he puts on a little you know, just like a little kid would do, puts on a little backpack, gets a little teddy bear, and he's out. He runs out the door and runs down the street. We see this van pull up, of course your classic free candy raper van pulls up, gets out, grabs the kid, and then it cuts to another scene where she's standing in the middle of the street and you see uh the kid like jumped out of the van and tried to run and this this dude just is chasing him down and picks him up and forces him back into the van and the mom's just having to watch this whole thing go down in front of her right and she knows like oh this is my fault because I was a heroin addict so all these super hardcore emotions and where the film already has you emotionally just kind of dump on top of you like a pile of rocks as you're watching this so that was cool that was cool very cool when a film can elicit you know, a feeling or whatever, just based on what you're seeing on the screen. You know, you're not there. This isn't happening to you, but yet you feel like you're going through it emotionally. So then it goes from there to where it shows that guy in a bathtub and you just see like the kid, the bathtub's full of water and you just see like the kid's legs sticking out of the bathtub. So, you know, obviously he drowned this kid in the bathtub after he did who knows what with him because it showed a bed where he was chained to a bed or whatever. So, you know, your mind's left to just wander into these horrible places. And of course she's watching and wants to do something, but she can't, she can't do it. She has to follow the rules of the ritual. And those rules are, you can't do anything. You just have to bear all of this without turning away kind of thing. I don't know. I don't know. At some point the demon grabs her and he's like, remember the rules child. And it's fucking weird. So from this, of course, because as you're watching this, you want to know what's happening now in the present. Is she going to tell Allison about all this? Is she going to tell the cop? They're like, hey, I saw the guy that murdered my son. We need to go find him. I know where he's at. I know what he looks like. You know, we need to figure out who this guy is, whatever. Well, she does tell him. And, of course, Allison hears it, but she's like, that's crazy. You know, sure, we'll look, we'll look into it. And you don't know if you quite believe her or not. And Allison has a couple of breakdowns during the movie as she's going through this interview because she wants to believe this stuff is true. She has all this guilt, but like, what can she do? She's pretty sure the kid's already dead. You know, what is going to happen here? Now, there is another cool part in the film. This is a big spoiler here, but Abel, who said that his daughter was missing, this is after like the second ritual or something like that. He says, well, you know, I've never seen my daughter, right? And she's like, what the, you know, what? We've done all these weird rituals. I got all these like demons in my house and stuff or whatever. And now you're telling me you've never actually seen your daughter. And she's like, oh, I've never seen her, but she exists. She, she's living in another state with her mom and she's alive and well. And now she's in, you know, she's this old or whatever. She doesn't believe her. Well, then they fast forward to the future. She tells Allison this. Allison, you know, tells one of the detectives or whatever, hey, just check into this and just see. Just see if there's someone out there by this name. And then later on in the film, she brings her a file and opens it. And she's like, do you recognize this girl? Yeah, of course, that's the girl that drowned in the lake and whatever, whatever. And they show the picture. She's like, well, who's this? Who is that girl that's pictured at the top of this file? And she said, it's the same girl. She goes by a different name now. So, of course, they can't prove that. But it's definitely, you know, it's definitely hard to overlook of the story that they've been told. And now what they're seeing on paper, that this is the same girl. So, you know, it. There, there does come a point in the film where Allison is somewhat believing what 
her sister Cora is telling her about these rituals and what this guy said and that maybe this is true. Maybe there is some kind of weird magic demon-y stuff going on here that's bringing our dead nephew back. All right, so we go into our next ritual, and they, they end up doing a goat sacrifice, and there's a moment of comedy, uh, comedic relief here where one of the officers has a one-liner. At the beginning of the film, they were trying to guess where all the blood comes from, and one cop comes in, and he's like, he's like, I bet it's a goat. You know, isn't that what all these weird, like, Satan people do? They kill goats. And someone was like, we've had the blood tested. It's human blood, whatever. And he's like, oh, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, they kind of like shit on him for guessing a goat. And then later on in the film, as she's telling the story and she says, yeah, we brought a goat in to give to this demon. He turns to that lady and he's like, told you it was a goat. And so it's just kind of, it's it's like one of the only, it's probably the only joke in the whole film. So it was it was a nice break because all of these emotions are super heavy in this film. All right, so they do the goat thing. The last ritual... Abel is being very hardcore at this point, serious about like, all right, here's what's going to happen. You cannot leave the circle no matter what. You, you can't do this and that. Remember the rules. Repeat them back to me. You know, he's still kind of being a dick about all this. They do the last ritual and Abel just gets wrecked by this demon. Like his body's all twisted up. He starts puking out black like hairy muck just nasty stuff coming out of his mouth and then we see the classic like hands coming out of his mouth as if something is being born from his body and Cora freaks out she leaves the salt circle which he said was a big no-no she gets out there and then that's it she broke the circle we all know you don't break the salt circle well and and again why do we all know that you ever think about that how does everyone know you don't break the salt circle why do we know that kind of inherently you ever think about that maybe there's something to it maybe it's real maybe it's all real magic demons witches seances evil (sighs) or maybe it's not i don't know either way it makes for good tv and it is a weird thought but moving on the demon escapes, it comes after her and and says that it needs a vessel, which is supposed to be her. She is supposed to be the vessel. She knew this from the beginning, and now she's scared. She doesn't want to do it, and she's like, I'll get you, I'll get you a body, all right? So we have this Hellraiser kind of thing where she's going to go get the demon somebody to inhabit, you know. She brings her old ex-heroine boyfriend by. Oh, and there's some scenes with the old ex-heroine boyfriend that are just... So good. I'll just let you watch the film and figure that out. But they're just, this dude is savage with what he says to these people about their dead kids. Anyway, he comes back over. The demon immediately goes to him and tries to suck his life, soul thing, whatever. And the demon just was pretty much, he turns to court and he's just like, what is this? What is this? I can't inhabit this nasty, rotten thing. I need a clean vessel. So you're like, oh shit, okay, so that's not going to work. What's Cora going to do now? Well, she runs. That's what she does. She runs away and tries to outrun this demon. Of course, it doesn't run. It's a demon. It just exists in the fucking Middle Earth somewhere. I don't know. It exists in the in-between. Who knows? And uh, that's where they ended up finding her, and she's covered in all this blood or whatever. So now the two ends have met. We're at the middle of the candlestick, and they put Cora in a jail cell for the night so Allison can kind of figure out what to do now that she's told her that, you know, the... The heroin dude has been killed for this demon. They start trying to find out, like, well, where is he? Well, guess what? He's missing. And she keeps telling him, like, you're not going to find the body. He he took him. He ate him. He's gone. There's no, he's not around anymore. So she goes in her jail cell. She's pleading for help. She keeps saying that, like, the demon is going to get her. Don't leave her alone and all this stuff. And, of course, once they lock her in the cell, 
it starts communicating with her just through like telepathy, just in her brain, you know. And it's funny, it talks to her almost soothingly. Oh, I skipped a big scene. Okay, so there is a big scene where Abel, after he dies, after the demon pops out, Cora is kind of sent, she she gets sent in these like dreamscapes and she goes to one where they're in a field and it's her and Abel. And Abel is like, okay, you got to complete the ritual. And he, she's like, I'm sorry, I broke the circle. I didn't mean to get you killed. And he's like, it's fine, just complete the ritual. And he gives her just pieces of goat meat, which is obviously some type of like pseudo-religious, you know, Christian thing. Three pieces of meat for the Trinity or whatever. And then she's got to drink this goat blood. And as she's doing it, Abel is done with her crap you know he's just like just do it like he's screaming at her he's like eat the meat and all this stuff and she's about to drink the blood which i you assume is going to finish the whole ritual and she will be now the vessel and get to see her son again and she just says no because he starts screaming at her and she's just like fuck you you know and it's just whole big scene where she just denies him and i don't know what happens to abel anyway i'll talk about this some more so she's in the jail cell demon's talking to her and he's actually being like nice he's like hey come over here and have a seat let's just talk let's work a deal out let's figure out what's going on here you know it's really kind of strange and uh the deal that he ends up making with her we know because allison goes back to the house to search for evidence of the heroin boyfriend being gone or something like that and she hears something upstairs she goes upstairs there's something in the closet oh shit what is it she got a flashlight out she got her gun ready just ready for some some hardcore cop action and she opens the door and all you see is the legs of the kid that's missing and the chuck taylor on one shoe and the shoe missing off the other foot so we infer that cora has given herself she's now the vessel for this demon and now the kid is back oh shit cheesy generic ending for this film it wasn't a bad film first third of the film i thought was excellent it really kind of showed what this guy could this producer guy could do or the director could do and then the last part of the film just showed how he has to tie something up in a hurry is what it looks like to me you know the cinematography and all his elements were there but i just felt like it just kind of shit the bed at the end it got cheesy when they started showing us the demon it just kind of took a lot of that allure away and yeah that's it and I'd say my biggest gripe with this is I still don't understand what this demon does. Like, okay, I get that you make a deal. You give him your soul, assumably, and you your child gets to come back. But the rules are never stated. You don't get to see your child anymore until you make someone else the vessel. Is that why Abel wasn't living with his daughter? Because Abel's like, well, you just carry this thing with you. You carry it with you until you can give it another vessel. What the fuck's that mean? I mean, he was running a support group, living his life, eating, uh, you know, cheese fries at a bowling alley. So, like, is it bad? Like, what does that demon do? Does he come to you every night and give you bad dreams? Like, what's he doing? So that part for me at the end just was another, you know, kind of part for me where I was like, what the fuck? What are you doing? What, what even is this? What is this demon dude's problem? What's he do? What is this deal? And why do I have to eat goat meat and drink blood for him to come back? What, you know, maybe it's not bad. Just be his vessel and go on and live your life. I don't know. It's never explained. But yeah, so that is the film. That is From Black. Like I said, I enjoyed it. It wasn't the best. It wasn't the worst. It had some good elements in it. I would like to see what this guy does in the future with horror. Um... Just because of the way it was shot, it was cool. So, yeah, that'll do it for this episode. Check out the Dead Languages podcast. They read one of my emails on there, and I, there was a story on there, something like that. So that's cool. Go back and check out some of their uh, most recent episodes. You can see where I've been 
making an appearance just like with my email they read the email and talk about it and it's very funny it's hilarious love those guys so that's it if you want to email me you can email me at just james podcast at gmail.com email me whatever you want you got a movie idea you got an idea for a future show you want to be a guest you want me to read a story whatever it might be hit me up i'll respond i'm on instagram i'm on all of them but instagram seems to be the only one that people actually talk to me on so you can do that or facebook if you want but i'm not on there hardly at all and I'm getting super excited about October coming up. I've already got some ideas for the show. Uh, if you got any ideas for the show, you know, write in. Let me know. Or just write in let me know what you like or don't like about the show. I'm thinking about maybe changing a couple of things up here in the future. Maybe adding a video element. I'm not sure. But, yeah. So, this has been Just James Horror Review. I'm your host, Just James.